the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. We shouldn't be unequally yoked in marriage, which is true. A believer should not marry a non-believer. But that verse really applies to any kind of relationship. It can apply to a business partnership. You know, where you get into a partnership with a non-believer. Don't be unequally yoked. In a business partnership, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, will suffer the same fate as Syria because they have yoked themselves to Syria. Relationships are a natural part of life that you can't escape, and yet it's very important which ones you attach to and let influence you. As you'll learn from Pastor Dan today, Judah yoked themselves to Syria and therefore faced the same judgment they did. While God warns believers not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, the same is true in business relationships as well. Judah didn't see the ramifications when they sought out an alliance with Syria, and yet their fate was marked. Think about the end results in the relationships you form. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 17, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. We're going to look at Isaiah chapters 17 and 18 this evening. Isaiah 17, Acts chapter 8. In this section of Isaiah uh, that began back in chapter 13 and goes through chapter 23, the prophet Isaiah is declaring indictments upon nine nations. Uh, and each of these nine nations are connected to Israel in some way. And we've been taking kind of one nation at a time in each chapter. One thing that this section in Isaiah shows us as we go through each of these different nations, it shows us that God is at work in every nation, even pagan nations. Uh, God has a plan, I believe, for every nation, and God is unfolding his plan in every nation. And I believe that God has a plan for every nation because God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance and salvation And so God is at work in different nations. That's what we see here. This letter from Isaiah is written to the southern kingdom of Judah. It's written to encourage the people of Judah. Uh, But it's also written to the people of Judah to show them the folly of trusting in these other nations around them. God's going to judge these other nations. These other nations will be judged by the Lord, so it's foolish to look to these other nations for help or for protection or for salvation from their enemies. And that's what the Lord's trying to show them by sharing these judgments, these indictments against these nations. Two verses come to mind 
with this. The first verse is in Psalm 9, verse 17, where it says, All nations that forget God will be turned into hell. For all nations that forget God will be judged. Now, the second verse is Psalm 33, verse 8 to 12. And there it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect or ineffective. They don't work. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. There in that passage in Psalm 33, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. And then it says that the Lord brings to brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He foils the plans of the nations. He makes the plans of man ineffective. He brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. In contrast, his counsel stands forever. His plans come to pass. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's what, that's what the Lord is showing Judah here in this section where he's declaring these indictments and these judgments against these nations. There's no use in trusting in these other nations to save you. You should trust in the Lord. The Lord will be your salvation. Chapter 17 is the indictment against Damascus. Uh, And Damascus at this time was the capital of Syria, just as it is the capital of Syria today. Uh, The city of Damascus is only about 135 miles from the city of Jerusalem. To give you some perspective on that, that's the distance from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia. Uh, So you, in theory, (laughs) you could drive from Jerusalem to the city of Damascus in two and a half, three hours. But you wouldn't want to do that, right? Because there's a civil war going on right now in Syria. Uh, So you really can't even cross the border, I don't think, into Syria. But it's only a short distance away. Uh, Damascus, in ancient times, it was a very important city. It sat on the main trade route that went from Mesopotamia down to Egypt. So all of the trade that's going from Africa Uh, up into Asia and over into Europe. It's all passing up into that region, uh, passing through Israel, going up into that area of Damascus as well. So it's a very important city. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world. Uh, Some say it is the oldest city in the world. But they say that about a lot of cities. Uh, So it's hard to say if Damascus truly is the oldest city. Uh, But it definitely is a very old city. Uh, Damascus is mentioned 55 times in the Bible. The first time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14. uh, When Abraham goes to rescue his, his nephew Lot, it says in Genesis 14 that Abraham had to travel north of Damascus to rescue his nephew Lot. So the city of Damascus uh, dates back to at least the time of Abraham. And it it probably predates Abraham. So it's at least 4,000 years old as a city. Uh, In the New Testament, of course, uh, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, he was converted on his way to the city 
of Damascus and then went to Damascus and ministered in that city right after his conversion. So Damascus is an important uh, city in the biblical story, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah's day, the northern kingdom of Israel had entered into a confederation with Syria. And so Syria and the northern kingdom were together. And they were planning an invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah and an attack against Jerusalem. And so that, that's some background for you on the city of Damascus. If you look at verse 1, the burden against Damascus. And Isaiah describes each of these messages as a burden. They're, they're burdensome to Isaiah because they are messages of judgment against these nations. Behold, something the Lord wants us to look at. Consider, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of Eror are forsaken. They're abandoned. They will be for flocks which lie down and no one will make them afraid. At this point in history, remember, the Assyrian Empire was the lone superpower in the ancient world, and the Assyrian army will attack the city of Damascus in just a couple years after Isaiah writes this. They attack in 732 B.C., and Assyria captures the city of Damascus, but they don't destroy it. They keep it. They, they don't... They don't turn it into a, a ruinous heap. But they do take it. They do capture it. In verse 2, it tells us that, that the cities in the region of Eror, which are uh, in that same general vicinity of Damascus, that they will be for flocks which lie down and no one will make them afraid because the cities in that area, it says, will be forsaken or abandoned. After the Assyrians conquered a nation, what they would typically do is they would take the citizens of that nation and deport them and remove them from their own homeland and resettle them in another part of the Assyrian Empire. And the reason they did this was so that people would lose their national identity. And this helped to prevent uh, nations or people groups from rebelling against the Assyrian power. And so when Assyria came into Syria and Damascus and the region around Damascus and conquered that area and conquered the cities of Eror, they deported most of the people out of those cities and the cities were left empty. The cities were abandoned. And those cities, which once had, you know, a large population, bustling city, busyness, those cities were forsaken. And they were empty. And they became a place where Bedouin shepherds grazed their flocks. And it says where the, where the flocks would lie down and no one will make them afraid. You know, in these once busy, bustling cities now, there's no people there. And so the, the flocks of sheep lie down and they're not afraid. There's, there's nothing that scares them there because they're desolate, vacant lands. Now, some... Uh, Bible teachers believe that this prophecy of, against Damascus has a dual fulfillment, a near and a far fulfillment. We've talked about that before in Isaiah. Many of the prophecies in Isaiah 
have a, a near fulfillment in Isaiah's day and then a far fulfillment later in history, most often at the, at the end of the age, that they have an end times fulfillment. And a, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this prophecy about Damascus has that dual fulfillment. It was fulfilled in part by the Assyrians in 732. As I said, that would be the near fulfillment, but it will have its ultimate fulfillment in the future. Verse 1 again says, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. That's never happened. That's never happened in history. Damascus has been conquered numerous times. But it's never been totally destroyed, and it's never been a ruinous heap. It has not ceased from being a city. It still exists as a city today. It's still inhabited. And so this is a prophecy in Isaiah 17 that is is yet to be fulfilled. But we know that the word of God is true. We know that the, the promises of God never fail. And so there will be a point in the future when the city of Damascus is completely destroyed and uninhabited, where the, the city of Damascus will cease from being a city. And that's interesting to consider when we look at what's going on in Syria currently with the civil war that's going on there uh, and the unrest that's taking place in Syria. Uh, you know, I was reading today just about the situation there in Syria right now. You know, both Russia and Iran are in Syria. They're just 100 miles from Jerusalem. They're in Syria. They've got military on the ground there. Russia and Iran are the two countries that lead the invasion of Israel that's described in Ezekiel 38 that's yet to happen. Uh, It's Russia and and Persia, which is Iran. We know that Iran wants to uh, wipe the nation of Israel off the map and destroy the nation of Israel. They've been vocal about that, things can uh, escalate very quickly and accelerate very quickly in that region with these different players that are all there. It's easy to conceive of a situation where, you know, Iran maybe launches an attack against Israel and Israel retaliates and it accelerates into some kind of exchange where Damascus is destroyed, just as it's prophesied here in Isaiah chapter 17, and we would see this fulfilled. And so it's possible this could be fulfilled even in our, our day. But it hasn't been fulfilled yet. In verse 3, in verse 3, Isaiah speaks against the northern kingdom of Israel, and here he refers to the northern kingdom as Ephraim. Ephraim was the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. And he says, the fortress also will cease from Ephraim, the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria. They will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel will face the same judgment as Syria. Remember, they've partnered together. They've entered into this confederation together. And here the Lord says that the northern kingdom will face the same judgment judgment as Syria. Uh, Warren Wearsby said, if the people you trust do not trust the Lord, their judgment may become your judgment. And that's what happened in the northern kingdom. 
they trusted in Syria, and then Syria's judgment became their judgment. You know, in the New Testament, we're told not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And most often, we apply that verse to marriage, that we shouldn't be unequally yoked in marriage, which is true. A believer should not marry a non-believer. But that verse really applies to any kind of relationship. It can apply to a business partnership. You know, where you get into a partnership with a non-believer. Don't be unequally yoked in a business partnership. Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, will suffer the same fate as Syria because they have yoked themselves to Syria. In verse 3, again, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah that Damascus and Syria will be as the glory of the children of Israel. That is, they will be inglorious. Uh, The glory of Israel is declining at this point. It's diminishing. In that day, verse 4, now this is a phrase that we're going to see quite a bit in chapter 17. It it usually, in the the Old Testament, it's referring to the end times. In that day, it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of his flesh will grow lean. And so here's a picture of Israel, you know, just, just wasting away as a nation. It shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arm. It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim is to the west of Jerusalem. It's in the kingdom of Judah. And so the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah who received this letter, they're very familiar with that valley. It was a very fertile farming land. It was kind of like the breadbasket of the kingdom of Judah. And he says, It shall be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim, yet gleaning grapes will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives at the top of the uppermost bow, four or five in its most fruitful branches, says the Lord God of Israel. Uh, Here the Lord describes the judgment of the northern kingdom as a harvest. In the Bible, harvest is used uh, figuratively in two different ways. It's used, first of all, uh, in the, the idea of bringing people into the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus talked about, um, he, he said, the harvest indeed is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. And Jesus was speaking of going out and sharing the gospel with people. And the harvest in that situation is, you know, people coming to salvation in Jesus Christ and bringing them into the kingdom of God. And so harvest is used in that way, that idea of bringing people into the kingdom of God. But harvest is also used in Scripture as a picture of God's judgment. And that's how it's used here, as a picture of God's judgment. I'll give you a couple examples. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, when he's describing Jesus, who is about to begin his public ministry, he says of Jesus, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. They are using the picture of Jesus with a winnowing fork, you know, where they would, uh, they would separate the wheat from the tra- chaff or the, the grain from the chaff. 
and the chaff is burned up, speaking of judgment. In Revelation chapter 14, uh, verse 14. So this, this, is, um, this is the harvest uh, that takes place uh, at the end of Armageddon. It says in Revelation 14, 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand was a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then we see, it goes on. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came forth uh, from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry uh, to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. You know, the winepress of the wrath of God. Speaking of harvest, this, this harvest as God's judgment. And, and here in Isaiah, that's the picture with Isaiah. It's a picture of of judgment. Uh, uh, this is Israel after God's judgment, after Assyria comes into that land and conquers that land and conquers the northern kingdom and deports most of the Jewish population out of the land, leaving only a small number of people left in the land. Uh, the Lord describes Israel as a grain field after the grain has been harvested. And you can picture that with maybe just a few stalks of grain left in the field. Uh, he describes it as an olive tree after the harvest, with just two or three olives left in the top of the trees. They um, harvest olives by hand. They use a ladder and they use sticks, and they'll take sticks and stick them up in the tree and shake the branches to try to shake off the olives. And they can't get all the olives off. So, you know, after the harvest, there's still a, a few olives left in the tree. That's the description that's given here. He asked me how I know, and I say, been truer than the finest crystal. We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. 
Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.